Welcome to Interscription. An unexpected detour on today's topics has Rich and I sharing musings on home servers for normal people, not a thing, and a small chat on the staggering proportions of the zombie apocalypse. Such things moved us towards the idea of digital permanence and ownership, and motions on Taylor Swift were also asked and answered, as though anyone might be concerned about such matters. Thanks for staying on this road with us. We are hopefully recording now. I believe we are recording. I see a waveform of me, and I see me in Zoom. I see a waveform. I see me. I see all of the things that would would mean that uh, we are about to embark on this journey that we've embarked on many times before, where we are going to pod. 31 times previously, I believe this is number 32. Uh, so yeah, we spent a little pre-show time uh, futzing with drivers. Uh, you said your computer got nuked and you're starting over. Anything terrible? Where did that, what happened? Oh, no, I uh, think I, uh, off air, we had talked a bit about how um, uh, home servers are great. Yes, and, love them. Uh, I, uh, you know, had mine completely upend itself a week or two ago. So, um, uh, just trying to be very, uh, frugal, uh, in terms of how I, uh, bring that back online. Cause it's, uh, now basically just a storage box right now. It's doing almost nothing. I, I had to migrate Plex off of it, everything that it was doing before. Like I just couldn't rely on it cause it was dead. Um, so I needed to get a new motherboard and CPU into it, um, and so uh, kind of cobbled some parts together, and uh, you know scraped the the back ends of a couple of credit cards to uh, get to get a couple of parts in here to 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 piece everything back together. So um, that turned into me having to replace the motherboard in my PC uh, because I needed that beefier one mm-hmm. with all of the uh, inputs on it, the uh, uh, SATA inputs. Uh, um, to be pushed into a server so um so that's what happened so uh, windows doesn't like having a motherboard changed out from under it so uh fresh windows wonderful that is fun so yeah i as you know rabbit hole in that and have kind of just burnt out on it like everything's more or less working the way i want and uh, great i'm just not fucking with it a whole lot i keep coming back to like do you ever turn off your desktop? Like, do you shut it down in a way that that's why we need home servers for things like Plex in particular? Because like I think about transcoding, which is less of a big deal with the devices we stream to than it was, but it can still matter. And, uh, you know, the server I run off of doesn't really have much of a graphics card. It's, you know, integrated system on a chip. So running it on the fucking supercomputer right next to it makes a lot more sense with the beefy graphics card. Like, why aren't we doing that? Like, help me explain it to myself because I keep wondering like why I just don't keep my desktop on and also make that my home server for 99% of the time. Sure. And it's definitely a use case thing. I mean, I, there, you wouldn't be alone in, in using the, the, biggest, angriest, strongest PC in the land uh, to also do server work because it can do that, you know, in its sleep. It's really, there's a couple of things, right? Like, so for me, my desktop PC is also 
the PC that we record on right now. Right. Um, so um, right now, if I'm recording audio, I probably don't want somebody transcoding Plex at the exact same time because uh, exactly one or two clicks and pops in my audio is one or two too many. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that's one thing, like, because this is already going to be doing some critical work at some point, um, then I don't want to have the variability of uh, somebody using it for server reasons. I think that uh, same thing with gaming, right? Like if I'm gaming and I want all the frames and I want all of the smoothness and all of the everything, and then somebody wants to transcode some Plex while I'm trying to, you know, render all of New York while while swinging about with 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 webs, I don't want anybody taking power from it. So I think that that's more the the thing is is if the use case is such that sometimes you're going to be using the PC and it has to also do server stuff at just whenever it's called upon to do server stuff that's when it gets there um if you're just really not using your pc for much <laughs> like if it just doesn't get a lot of a workout and right. it is just sitting there all day and it's not being used then then sure and in that case it should be a server <laughs> or it should be turned the hell off is the other thing i mean th- kind of getting to the, maybe the other uh side of that coin from for me, I, these are all my personal feelings about it. I, I'm, I'm sure they're not law here, but um, but the other thing is like the amount of power draw uh, on my desktop PC with a beefy video card and associated power supply and you know uh, a whole bunch of extra hardware. Right, as much as Windows is getting awfully good at keeping it quiet when it's not in use, um, the draw of that PC is just going to be you know, high when it's right. on. Right. And if you are even just serving things out, right, it's not going to, it's not necessarily going to be using all of what it would draw, but it will be using significantly more than something that is a server. Right. Um, when it's doing a whole lot of network and data transfer instead. And then finally, I think one of the things I ran into for this, the one thing that was, I guess, probably the, uh, uh, most notable part of me having to shuffle around from my most recent home server is uh, a new case. Um, so the case that I have here just simply won't hold all of the hard drives that need to go into a server. So, right. you know, and that's hard to come by period. Like having a, a case that, that can hold all the hard drives, um, a whole bunch of hard drives are noisy, which is kind of antithetical to, uh, you know, having a PC right next to this microphone to record. Yeah, it's yeah. death by a thousand cuts. I think, I don't think there's any one particular reason why you just can't do it. Um, but I do think that, uh, my use case for it is in my particular use case for a desktop PC is that I don't use it. Sometimes I'll go a couple days without using it. Mm-hmm. Um, Rarely, I mean, but that's happened. And I have all my power settings to say that you get five hours and then I want you asleep. I don't want to, you know, so, you know, and sometimes less than that, How depending on whether or not I too want to burn up the planet. But it, but that's the most that it gets. And then it goes asleep and it'll be asleep for days. But when I come to it and I want to use it, I want to use it unabridged. I want it to not be serving stuff. I don't want it to be backing things up. I don't want it to be uh, transcoding anything or any of the roles that a server would have. I think a, a, a server will do those things at a, at a much lower power, um, you know, relative to the desktop too. So um, I guess that I, those are all the tiny reasons that probably add up to enough of a reason why I haven't done that. Yeah, uh, it, it totally makes sense. Uh, I mean, I obviously built a server and went down that path and you know, again, like I don't use my gaming rig all that much except for gaming. Um, I do use it to run some synths that are just 
too powerful for a single desktop. So like I have it like <clears throat> um, there's a access virus emulator that's actually emulating the DSP chip. And okay. so it's early stages, open source project, but because it's emulating another chip, it asks for a lot. Like it's not just running software on <clears throat> a target CPU, it's writing code to, you know, mod that other chip onto that. Mm -hmm. So like the overhead on it's just nuts. So I found that it is the only thing I can run as far as a plugin. And so if that's the trade-off, then I'll run it on the desktop machine because that's not otherwise being used and just run an interface and treat it like any other synth. And then it's beautiful. Uh, so yeah, like it's those kind of things and you're absolutely right. Like I use it when I want to play games. I use it when I want to do something music related or audio related and not a whole lot of the other time. And so, yeah, those down cycles, I'm like, yeah, but so why am I not transcoding or backing up my files or shooting crap up to Backblaze or using it to open my garage door? You're absolutely right. Like at the end of the day, I would rather have it off and on demand when I actually want to use it for the right purpose and have that low powered single fan setup that I have that's just doing it. And then, you know, the startup time, the router, you know, I have just a tiny box that's just my router and it comes on in 90 seconds. And so when the power goes out, it is back on and I don't have to worry about going to a desktop keyboard or anything like that. It's just an appliance. So mm -hmm. I, I get it, but it does kind of like make you wistful, like, well, I've got all of that investment over on that guy and I'm just not using it. But also really good point about like environmental things. We don't really, I guess we don't have the way to spin down the graphics card and like have it roll over to like the integrated chip when not in use, which would be great. Yeah, I don't, um, that's a good question. I, I I think because they're generally different architectures, we probably don't have right. that. Like, I'm, I think we both support NVIDIA uh, mm -hmm. GPUs for the dedicated GPU. Yep. And so, you know, the onboard is either a Ryzen or, or an Intel, but it's uh, just a different flavor. Um, I want to say that there was a, there was the thought that if you have an AMD Ryzen and then you also had an AMD RDNA of some kind chip, like say a 6800 XT or something like in there, and they're both AMD, that maybe what you're talking about is possible. Right. Um, I think that was at least on a roadmap somewhere. I think that that was, which makes sense, right? Like you don't want to have to spin up the big old GPU when all you're trying to do is drag a couple windows around the screen, right? Like it should, shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, uh, I don't know that that ever really landed. Yeah, and I guess depending the, on how it's engineered, right. you know, is it, if the graphics card needs to be spun up at a moment's notice to do that, is there enough lag time there for you to have anything other than a good experience? You know, um, so I don't, I don't know about the engineering about that. I, that's that's probably outside of my purview. But, but yeah, I, I, another thing, one of the walkthroughs I looked at, thought about doing this briefly. As you know, I kind of you know got very disenchanted around home networking in general. But I, I um, I've been waiting for this episode, dude. I I have been just like waiting for you to not be ready to jump out the window when I uttered the words home server. And I I swore, dude. I swore blood oath that I would not bring it up, but you said it first, so I am I, I am here for it. I said it first. Yes. Um. Yeah. There. Um. There is a um. Uh, some walkthroughs I saw about uh, kind of carving off your putting in a dedicated video card of substance, like something, you know, a nice GPU into your home server 
and farming that out to a VM um, so that you can not only do big boy transcoding, like, you know, like NVIDIA with NVENC, but also then, you know, like actually running a VM that could be playing Call of Duty that you just stream, you know what I mean? Like on your LAN. And I thought that that was neat. I mean, and that... Inst- that sort of flips it on its head, right? Like if you think about it, because that will allow you, since it's a VM, to actually just be turned off when you're not using yep. it or put set to wake on LAN or whatever. And then you can have more dumb terminals around the house that are sleeping all the time or off all the time. Turn it on, stream your you know, amazing ray traced version of control ultimate edition, you know, on your, on this tiny little, you know, knock somewhere in the corner. Um, and then when you're done, everything gets turned off, right? Like the GPU itself is no longer being used because the, it is cordoned off to a, a VM. And that seemed neat. Um, I, you know, it just sounded like, you know, three times more complexity for the thing that I can already do here and not yeah. enough savings elsewhere. I feel like that would probably be better um, in situations where you have like several people that are gaming in the house, but not all of them will be gaming at the same time. And if that is your situation, I could totally see why you'd want to do that. Like instead of buying five graphics cards that were recently given up by crypto people, you could just (laughs) buy one and put it in there and, you know, save yourself a whole bunch of money. So I think there's some cost effective ways of doing it. I think there's some smart ways of doing it. Again, it all it all still comes back to the disgusting amounts of complexity complexity for not enough gain, right? Like there's yeah. just not enough gain in all of this. Um, so, as a side, I will say too, like for my personal journey about this stuff, you know, home servers for a long time now, and I I have always justified it. I think mostly rightfully so, in that um, I had always been building Windows home servers with Windows licensing, and I could always use that to sharpen my IT knife for work so yep. i could always try out things at home and in, in my home lab in lieu of having an actual work lab because as much as you know most businesses really want to say they have a, a, a work lab that they can use you're just running around with it like a chicken with your head cut off all the time working on your actual production hardware you do not have time to build labs right. and maintain labs um nobody has time for that but uh, at least in none of my professional experiences so it was a place where i could kind of keep that sharp and, and what have you um about a year ago now, I guess thereabouts is when I, you know, realized I had to, you know, change out from server 2016 and decide to go to 2019 or 2022 or whatever. Um, licensing being, you know, rather expensive for, for Microsoft. And so they got rid of the, what was it? The TechNet subscription. Mm-hmm, and there was mm-hmm. the other one, like they, they had ways where I, as a IT professional could pay for that with a much more reasonable price tag than six, seven, eight hundred dollars yep. you know, uh, for home lab. So, um, so that's how I got all the way up to server 2016, but then it went away. So I think, um, so I was just looking for something that was just going to be much more cost effective because I had also backed myself into the corner of a home server that had DHCP and DNS and all the, you know, all the, all the, the bits that I had become to rely on. And so that brought me to Unraid earlier this year. Um, and that's been an interesting journey. There's some things I've learned about it. It is fascinating. It's, you know, pushed me a little bit further into the Docker world. Um, the problem is, is that all of that stuff for me, and this is again, personal experience stuff and my personal thoughts on it. But for me, this is no longer something that keeps my IT knife sharpened, right? Like Unraid, Docker, any of this stuff, right? Like it's all, they're all baby toys, right? Like everything, TrueNAS and Proxmox, like it's all baby toys. Like I have to, I do uh, VMware at work. I have to do ESXi hosts and cluster them up and connect it to SANS and, you know, do 
all that stuff. So like, it's just not transferable. Like it's not real world. Like it's just, you know, they're, you know, they're fun, you know what I mean? But they're not, it's not real world. It doesn't help. Whereas like with windows server, I will say one of the nice things there is that it scales up really, really nice. Like it's, it's very powerful when you get into data center additions and you cluster it and, you know, so having a home server or having a cluster of windows servers is really a scalable skill set. Um, and, uh, whereas, you know, some of these things are just, they're, you know, consumer to prosumer at best. And so I can't take a lot of these learnings with me, right? right like right. I understand them all from a, uh, networking and technical perspective and, you know, but it's really the thing that keeps you sharp is finding out where the bodies are buried for all these tech technologies. Right. When I look at that, I'm, I'm trying to find, you know, well, okay, well, what does this operating system do for Docker? You know what I mean? And where does it put its networking settings and, you know, what pseudo whatever do I have to use to get to this thing here, you know, for this particular distro? And, you know, and after a while, like, it's like you, this has now just become like, I'm not that much uh, more affluent in my IT skills with this. It's just now I know where the bodies are buried for unraid and i could just go do that with something else now but none of it none of this is coming into a a business like nobody's going to use any of this for business so so like that's sort of my problem um so now it's no longer like useful and so now it's just another technical problem for me to deal with when i get home right like (laughs) like I, i i go home and now i have a different set of server problems and issues and things you know and it's not really helping me because if i solved it at home, I can't then turn around the next day and say, Hey, I've got a great idea for what we can do at work because nobody's ever going to use any of these things at work. We're going to use, you know, professional tools at work. So I I think that's maybe where I kind of, I got very disenfranchised here over the past year with home server stuff because it's just a heartbreaker. Like this stuff isn't, uh, powerful enough to really be used anywhere except in, you know, nerdy home labs. So, you know, that's, uh, I really have two questions on that. You definitely committed to like Unraid at home. And a lot of these that you rattled off, Trunaz, I've played with, uh, I ended up using um, Open Media Vault for file serving um, in Proxmox because the fun I was having at the time was spinning up VMs and Proxmox is a perfect, as you put it, baby toy for doing that. It's very easy to get into and spin up machines, throw them down. Um, <clears throat> Unraid, unlike Trunaz and Proxmox and some of these others, is one of the non-open source solutions. It's a <clears throat> paid solution. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is it for? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 like, I, I, I mean, I'm saying that half rhetorically, but I know it's got a big community around it. Like, is it just home lab nerds that are buying this? Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, I think, way earlier this year when, you know, one of our very early podcasts when I talked about and was <laughs> whining about it back then, um, I, I remember saying, you know, I got into this. And the reason I think I chose Unraid ultimately was because when I had to find something, uh, it ultimately was, I need something with community and I need something with support, right? Like those are the two things I need here. And open source is like maybe one of the coolest technological lanes of our time, right? Like the ability for the community to, you know, build upon things, you know, without, uh, without a leash on them. Right. Like without the, (laughs) without the nasty bits of capitalism, you know, forcing them into, into places. Right. And my issue was that 
when I had to pivot away from Microsoft and $700 worth of licensing for a home box that was maybe going to run Plex in a couple of VMs, uh, you know, like I didn't want to give them $700. So what is the next solution here that is going to be supported and is going to have a good community that I can lean on, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing. And the problem with most open source projects is like that's that's never a foregone conclusion like you can't you can't know that a year from now you can't know that you know necessarily TrueNAS or, or Proxmox or any of those are going to get furthered because if there's another product that comes out that blows those out of the water then the open source community is just going to you know like piranhas they're just going to go that way That's and then it. all of a sudden this thing just sits there and it may sit there for several years and be fine somebody may pick it back up later on but you just can't figure on that right so like the one thing i would say like maybe as the other side of that coin is that with it being a paid product and in your right i don't know who besides me is paying for it but there's enough people in the community that a lot of people must be um right. i think i think it's at least funding it as an idea right like i mean it's that you know they can it has become a a product that um has a revenue stream that can have support. It can have, you know what I mean? It can have like versioning that's consistent. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, body of humans that are, are dedicated to the development of it, you know, that is the unraid team. Right. And it's not just people who are working in, on it in their basement and in weird time zones. Like it is a, it is a product, right? Like that you buy that gets supported that, you know, is, is going to, you know, be here for what you need. So I think, for my uses, you know, when I thought about leaving something like a Microsoft product that was going to be around in perpetuity because Windows Server wasn't going anywhere for, right. you know, most of my life, I'm sure. So like, or, you know, the versions of it that I will be playing with. So I, I, I think that when I moved to something, I needed something that was that, right? Like that was going to be something that I could uh, continue to lean on, I guess, Makes you know, sense. in terms of, of that. So it wasn't so much that it was a paid product, I'll be honest, because it isn't like it's a pittance compared to Windows Server. I think it was... I don't know, 30 bucks, 40 bucks. I think the, yeah, that's reasonable the step up was sure. maybe 80 to get like all the drives or something. I don't, I don't think it was a lot, but, um, which I don't think I even did cause I didn't even have enough drives for that to matter. But the, um, but I think the, uh, so it wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't really that, but the community for Unraid is like, like their forums are very well laid out, like some super helpful people, great technical articles. Like there's, I told you about that guy, Ed, uh, Space Invader one, like he, he's got some terrific walkthroughs. Like, I don't think he's employed by them. I just think he's like a super fan and he, uh, just puts a ton of videos up there of like all kinds of things. And that was great for my first few, you know, spinning up a Docker container for this or that, just to play with it, just to see, you know, you know, as much as that stuff isn't inherently complex, you know, like it's, it's more that it's like, where is it here? Right. Like, where do I find Docker here? It's not, how do I use Docker? It's like, you know, like where's Unraid's implementation of VMs? Where's Unraid's right. implementation of all these things? Um, and so like having somebody and having a robust community that's like in there and ready to tag in and ready to help is like, is great. And it's uh, quite frankly, kind of difficult in the technical world to always stumble on that. You know, like once you start coloring outside of the lines or trying to make it work for your setup, you know, the, um, the amount of help you might experience on the internet is variable somewhat. Um, and so I, I think that that was a, that was a great thing to see and it has borne itself out a couple of times. I've been able to kind of ask for a lifeline and there's been some very helpful people out there. Um, so 
Um, so I think that was why that that was why I went with it because I did want that that safety yeah. net, you know, because I didn't know where any of the bodies were buried in this particular app. So yeah, I mean, I think the other huge question I have absolutely learned my lesson. You know, I've already put the time in, and so like I will continue to live in the Proxmox world that I have. I would not recommend this to anybody. Like I, I don't think you know our friends and family who I would recommend having a Plex server and managing their media to. That's great. What I mean, what do you because you do a whole lot of building for your family, friends, anybody who asks. Like you are there with some Cat Six and ready to rock and roll. What do you recommend? Like what should normal people do? Yeah, I, 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 right now it's a great question. I don't, I, I, it is a tough one too, because I think, um, you know, when you started your journey, you started with a QNAP and I, I feel like QNAP is like the nerdiest version of the least nerdy version of what you do here. Right. Like, which right. is buying a, a NAS that that's an all in one box, right? Like they, they, uh, lean deeper into the nerdier parts of it, um, while still being a closed box solution. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I feel like the ones that I've seen, um, you and I talked briefly about the Synology stuff. I haven't seen a Synology in a few years. Um, there was a guy that I worked with that had one and swore by it. Um, got to see some of the interfaces and that. And even back then, it was beautiful. Like it was really well, well, well laid out. Um, so I feel like something like that, right? Like I think like a high-end NAS device of some kind mm -hmm. that you just slap some hard drives in and has some great walkthroughs, some great apps that lets you kind of do this thing. Um, I don't not believe in that for more people than are actually using it, um, but I think that that's probably the thing. Unfortunately, I think for something like uh, something like a NAS, I, I, it's a it's tough because they don't necessarily grow, right? So you really have to decide what you're going to do with it. And in that way, I don't think it's so different as from a home server, whether, you know, whatever you roll it with, whether it's, you know, TrueNAS or, or, or Unraid or whatever. But I, I, I think there's a lot of upfront decisions you have to make. Yeah. And there, uh, uh, because you have to load it up with enough drive space that it's, you know, you're going to kind of stick with that plan, right? And That's stay it. there. Um, I... I will say a good nod towards Unraid in particular about that because I think that it handles the expansion of drives over time quite elegantly, like it's it's meant to do that. Um, you know, being able to build its own, I mean, the name Unraid <laughs> by saying that you yeah. can just have whatever the hell drives you want we and just throw them in there. What side they're on? <laughs> yep, it will it will handle it. Um, so I, I think that that's a good that's a good solution for at least it answers that one question about a NAS that's unfortunately not easily answered elsewhere. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, it's a good question because I don't know. And then again, you know, I think it's one of the things that, you know, and I would even punt that question back to you in some ways. Right. Like, I think the whole idea of a home server has to be what are you using it for in the first place? And that will probably inform that conversation, right? Like for me, I continue to be pretty deep into Plex. I, you know, I've ripped a lot of CDs over, over the years. Um, and that's become particularly valuable for me because I have some rare stuff that I can't get on any service, right. That I've ripped. So like, how do I like take a album? I was just listening to an album, um, for all of our Delaware listeners of a certain age, I don't know, uh, there's a band called Gingham Schmooze that came out way back in the day. Um, and I was just listening to that CD uh, 
I don't know, a couple of days ago, and that CD doesn't exist anywhere. I mean, it would be very difficult for you to just go stream that. If I pull up Apple Music or I pull up, you know, Spotify, I may be hard pressed to find, you know, local artists or, you know, things that I've ripped. And so, like, if that stuff is lost to time, how do I get that? You know, how do I get that with a music service? So, Plex for me is a, is a great way of getting yeah. there, right? Um, I think Plex works well as a DVR. I've been continuing to use it as a DVR. It's hooked up to my HD home run so I can record stuff, you know, over cable card on and uh from comcast um it unshackles me from having their you know dvr product whether it's their cloud one or or a box under my tv um so that's a great thing for me so um so the media consumption part of it is there but um i know for a time you were using uh are you i don't remember where you landed on this it's been a little while but you were trying to kind of free yourself from uh, iCloud, right? Like using iCloud for photos, yeah, um, I think was yeah. where you were going. And so like, is that something you want to do? Is that something anybody wants to do? Right. Like, and, and, you know, uh, you may have changed this, but like you were saying at the time, like you're still going to use iCloud, right? Like you're just also going to have it here. And you know, like that's like, you know what I mean? Like for most people, like if they're going to also use iCloud, they're just going to use iCloud, right? Like, yep. like for you, you have a very, very specific use case around why you're doing that and what, what reason yeah. you have about that. So I think it really comes down to that. I don't know what I recommend to people because I think most of the answers are already out there, right? Like I think, um, you know, when you really boil it down, like, you know, I, I mean, I have, you know, some old movies that I had a very difficult time finding on, you know, voodoo or whatever, you know, like to, to rent. Um, but I found uh, like, what was the one? There was a cartoon flight of dragons from way back in the day when I was a kid mm. and loved that movie. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I had an old burned copy of that, uh, perhaps quasi legal. I don't know. Um, but I had that from many, many years ago and I was able to rip that throw it on the server so that I had that so that my kids got to see flight of dragons and I couldn't actually find that for a time on online services. So for me, I think it's like this archival thing where I get to actually hold on to these things that I just can't get anywhere else. But if you take out those niche cases, who needs that? Like, right. I, you know, like if you have Spotify or Apple music, do you need a Plex server with 20,000 songs? No, of course you don't because even 20,000, which I thought was impressive at one point in time, doesn't match the 10 million songs that Apple has uh, or Amazon has. And, or, yeah, as or, you said, or, Amazon or for free. Like this week, they just said, yep, you've got you it. Just drop it. 10 right? million yeah. songs. I, I, so like you can't keep up with that, right? There's like, got to be some covers in there. Right. Like uh, the, the TV shows, movies, like all that stuff. Like how many streaming services do we have? There's we're about to talk about some TV shows here, you know, uh, for, and uh, <laughs> I haven't even caught up to the ones that are streaming online right now. Like, what the hell do I need a Plex server filled with a bunch of movies and TV shows I right. can't get to? So I think that's sort of the thing, like what people do is probably commensurate with whether they can find like an immense amount of value out of like doing that because the, because the, the pay in for this stuff, like the, or the buy in rather, um, to use a term that's actually <laughs> real, uh, the buy in here is, you know, like is immense, right. You know what I mean? And I'm not just talking financial cause you can do this on a shoestring. I, I think I told you my, this, this, this server that's behind me, the parts that are in it, which are finally failing are nine years old. Like I built that server nine years ago for about 500 bucks. And 
you know, recently I've had to just throw, you know, a different motherboard and stuff in there. So maybe a couple hundred more, you know, and then a handful of hard drives over the years. So like across nine years, well under a grand is not bad when you think about how much computing costs, right? So you can do this on a shoestring or you can blow a whole fuck ton of money. I mean, you can go as crazy as you want. I mean, going on the Unraid forums and seeing people's multiple servers that have arrays of drives in it. I mean, you can go as nuts as you want, but I think like, it's not even necessarily the expense, right? Like, but it is the time, right? Like it's the time, it's the care and feeding. That was the part that I think this year, like I really got, I just got broken like a, like an old horse. Like I I just don't want to spend that much time, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In this, right? Like I do want to just subscribe to some services and I want to go put Eros in my whole house and I just want to walk away. Like I don't want to do that here at home anymore because now the problems, the technical problems that are coming up are not serving me anywhere outside of just getting everybody back on the internet. Like that's all it's doing. Like there's no, uh, benefit, right? Like there's no benefit. Yeah. Like I, you know, we, we were talking about uh, PF sense and I know this is a little in the weeds for our audience. I apologize. Um, you know, but there's a routing component there, you know, where it like basically takes the place of parts of your home router. Mm-hmm. Um, which is cool and it's very nerdy and it's got some really neat stuff and I've poked at it a lot over the last year plus um, and you know separate VLANs for different kinds of things so you can have certain kinds of devices that get certain IP blocks and certain kinds of IP reservationing that can happen based on the OUI and you can just I mean it just goes on and on and on and on and on and you know and it's just you know and then routing DNS so you can have your own DNS here and you know setting a reverse proxy so you can you know you can reach back into your home network and all this stuff and and like there's just really not like enough real world examples where any of that matters right like it doesn't like and I, as somebody who's very nerdy and who plays with this stuff all day long for my job and then decides to you know read about yep. it when i get off work and like it's it's there's just not enough payoff really right like it's like it's there's just so much time to get it working and then when it breaks and it breaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it breaks for me. It breaks for you. It breaks for everybody who does that. Um, when it breaks, then it's the everybody's panicking and there's people are trying to get on the Internet at home and they can't. And there's, you know, people trying to stream Netflix and they can. And, you know, or then you have this one document you want to get to at home and you can't get to that one document at home because yeah. the thing's not working today, even though it was working yesterday. And it'll definitely work tomorrow when you wake up. But it's just not working today. The one time you need to get it or share it or whatever, you know, so, you know. I don't know. There's just enough of it that's a to me to me that that I think has become a. It's just been it's 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 an untenable amount of inv- time investment um, and just almost no payoff. And that's for somebody who just enjoys the the uh, the mental acrobatics it takes to get it going right like that it's 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 neat yeah. it's neat to do it's fun um and you know with enormous air quotes it's fun uh but uh, but certainly like in, is it useful is it something that you can't find other ways to do um no not at all it's it almost it's it's embarrassing how not useful it is really when when compared to the current technical landscape in 2022 yeah um so um, that's where I've kind of landed. So I, I don't know to answer your question. I don't know how you, how you, uh, get somebody else to do something else. Right. Because no matter what they go to, like, even if they bought a Synology and a whole bunch of drives, you know, like, um, I don't know, it's expensive. It's expensive to do, uh, in time. And, 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 uh, and I think that's, you know, that commodity, I think, unfortunately is maybe a little bit too, too costly these days. Yeah. I, and I think the commodity part of it is uh, very real. You know, I, 
think back on this journey and you were with me when I had the break that sent me into this rabbit hole and the issue was my lynxes fell up had gone toes up and I bought a new lynxes flop one of the things that I loved about that platform is that you can mix and match them so I don't have to replace like you know the Netgear Orbeez another mesh router <clears throat> if one of your Orbeez goes you just have to buy another set of three and the hundreds of dollars and the e-waste of all of that because they're not backwards compatible. Mm-hmm. The problem is that Linksys has steadfastly, and you kind of walked through this with me in real time and screen shares, just made the routers dumber and dumber. And for a lot of people, that's great. But the only thing you get to know about it is whether or not it's online. And the only real way you get to know is whether or not the light is red or blue. I, I mean, like they've really like boiled it down, like to the extent where when you and I set up our office way back with Linksys, like you could get to the second layer, like the traditional view of like the router OS. Mm-hmm. And that was just mm-hmm. gone and it wasn't working. It was a nightmare. And that sent me down building a PFSense and Pi-hole machine, the two things that you're talking about to actually be my router, just so I could see what was happening on my network, just so I could understand okay, the internet's out. Is it me or is it what's coming in from Fios? Like I couldn't answer that question on Linksys. Like I didn't get to know. I just got to know things couldn't connect with no other point of reference, whether or not, you know, the WAN was coming in or not. And I wonder like if I had had an Eero or something that was maybe just like a little bit more giving in what it Mm -hmm. was telling me, if I wouldn't have even gone down there. You know, I mean, like it really was that, sense of loss of control as a consumer Mm. that sort of drove me nuts as a technically literate consumer. It really aggravated me. But I think even your basic home consumer who the internet's going to go down on, like you need to have a device, like whether it's a Synology for archival or something like there's got to be right sizing of the information that you're giving. And I love the idea of giving people only what they need when they need it. But that when they need it means that you have to be able to hit the advanced mode sometimes and walk through with your nephew if you need to walk through with your nephew. But that information has to be there. And mm-hmm. so I, because I do circle around the same question, which is why I was asking it, you know, if I have somebody who really loves backing up their LPs, you know, they really want to like archive their vinyl collection. Like, yes, if you're not doing that and you're just on Spotify, this is not a conversation for you. You don't need any of this. Your phone's fine. Go home. Like just mm-hmm. uh, aircast air it, Google play it. Like it's fine. You're done. But if you are like, there's that middle level of not having a 10 U rack of servers that you've built to run your different devices. And, uh, you know, we both, you've taught me well that we wire our network wherever we can and there's most people don't even do that right like you're just dropping mm-hmm. a couple of meshes or just one really big router and everything's wi-fi straight down to your streaming box which doesn't have an ethernet jack anymore anyway thanks fucking apple and all these other guys mm-hmm. uh but like still you have that step up right like you have the step up of all of these devices that have ethernet that have a better quality it's the same thing as we fucking screwed speakers into my ceiling because we could and we want to enjoy that increased freedom that increased fidelity 
of what we're enjoying and what we're consuming. And that's fine. Most people are just going to plug in a soundbar, but like, where is that? Like, where's that mid-level? Like, how do I sell Atmos? How do I sell surround sound to somebody who doesn't want to cut holes into their ceiling? You know, like, where is that sure. mid-level business? And I think that's missing here in the home server. I actually was thinking about the Windows home server devices that we had that we were kind mm-hmm. of abandoned. Like, that was the perfect fit, wasn't it? Like, mm-hmm. that was the that would have been the answer. That would just get a Windows home server. Done. Right. End of conversation. And like there's that hollowing out of the middle in consumer electronics, uh, not just on the networking side, but all of the places where you're either going Primo Pro and losing 40 pounds while you're up in your office trying to, you know, get this uh, Linux terminal to do the thing that you need it to do, or you're just going to aircast from your phone. Like, and there's nothing in between those two things. Sure. Yeah. And, and you, you really, there is a split here, right? Like, I think that I, I would call out the fact that like, when you start getting into these like weird kind of, you know, babyish prosumer things, you know, on raid, uh, true Nas, Proxmox, all this stuff. Like, I, I just I can't uh, wait for the, the you know, emails that we're going to get from like true Nas. Yeah, emailing so us about you know how powerful they all are. I get it. I know they're very powerful. It's, you, you're all you're all very impressive. <laughs> yes, your lifted truck makes you look taller. Yes, uh, but uh, but I th- <laughs> but I think like but like I th- I think one of the things that has happened with those things right is because they have such uh, high. Uh, ceilings, right? Because they are powerful, even if they're not always necessarily user-friendly, like they are very powerful. I think that the community, and I got suckered into it a year ago with with Unraid, <laughs> what tales you've shared with me through as I've gripped my teeth, and you definitely got suckered into it. Like they have cycles to spare, so we're finding reasons for them to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of like a that's kind of a th- right like i mean i think that's sort of the the thing that's like uh problematic i think about them all like is that they yeah. they are really meant to just be servers right like that just hold on to things like that you know like they're just boxes where your data goes right like at the end of the day so if you get a synology or a qnap or in anything right like that's a that's a nas device that you buy off the shelf throw some hard drives in it plug it into your network and you know they all come with apps and you can go send your stuff over there and then you can see them on the network and you can send your stuff over there um i think they are meant for only that right like for the most part and then when you start pushing on them too hard to say oh well you need to also be a router now or you also need to be a dns server now or you need to go do other things i think those off-the-shelf things don't do more of that stuff whereas you know some of the actual like proper on pc builds that we've done that you know that are that are home servers like they can do a lot more because they are pcs right like they've always been pcs so like like that's how i've always kind of leaned into mine and that's why again back to the knife sharpening of my it tools like i've been able to go back to it i've been able to uh say you know well this is holding onto my plex stuff but while it's here 
it's a Windows server box, so I can also, you know, route all my DNS through it and I can set, you know, remote access into my network and I can, you know, get DHCP's pools so that I can have IP scopes for various things in my house and, you know, I can have it do Windows patching for me. And like, and so you start like folding things into it because it is back to the very beginning of this conversation. It is the, the well, it's a computer and it's just the hell sitting there. So <laughs> if you can lean, you can clean and you just... <laughs> You just start telling it to go. You know, it. I mean, you just give it jobs, right? Like you just start giving it jobs to do. And and there is always overreach there. There is we give them way too much jobs to do. And then in as is, is the case by old Betsy behind me back there, like after nine years of doing all of these jobs that it was <laughs> should never have been asked to do, it decided not anymore. And it just sat on the floor and decided not to. <laughs> yes. And so when you have all of these things backed into it, like when you have all of these things that are, you know, uh, kind of, uh, it's been over, over used, right? Like in such a gross way that now it becomes this central pillar of your home. And then when it goes down, your home goes down and all of your family members remind you about how this awesome right. project you have in that room over there has made the whole house go down. That took you and away from your family to begin with. Like it's so time consuming to your original point. Like it's. You cannot just turn it on. You have to build it. You have to provision it. You have to spin up the machine, spend time on forums. And at the end of the day, my one freaking feather in my cap is my garage door now opens for me when I get home. That's it. Yeah. All of the hundreds of hours so that I don't have to do this. Click. That's all. Yeah. I, I rest my case. Yes. Yes. I can do that now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no doubt, right? Like there's always been such like fun things that you can get it, get to it. You know, I, I, I think, uh, that home assistant stuff is, is, is pretty rad, you know, but it's, it's really, gosh, man, it's just like, it's just so much, you know I mean? Cause it really, and I think, you know, and I, I, I think like part of the thing that also, I, as I kind of uh, doubled back on it, I'm sure our audience is absolutely thrilled with all of this <laughs> porn home server talk. We've, we've, we've spent this entire time like explaining to everybody how they shouldn't do this. <laughs> like, like, it's like, please so, don't do this terrible you idea. You know what? Some of the most important conversations are things that you need to avoid. You know, we are sharing our learning. We have stepped through the fire so that you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to. You just let other people do it. I think that I I ran into this uh, as a I'll say the finalish point for me about it is is that when you look at it, when you look at it as a as a home ther- uh, server thing, one of the things that uh, I'm responsible for, uh, I, I'm on an infrastructure team at, at work and in, in IT, so. Uh, one of the things that you want to make sure happens is that nobody's calling you at two or three in the morning, right? Like you want to make sure that all the technology to the extent that it's possible um, is redundant. It is resilient uh, so that if one thing goes down, there's seven other things behind it that pick up the slack and you just get an email. So when you're sipping your coffee in the morning, you say, "Hmm, number eight went down. That's crazy. Let me go ahead and, you know, let me go figure out what that is. But you get to do that during daylight. You don't get to be, you know, woken up because the entire thing is on fire or three in the morning. And that's something from a home server perspective that's uh, 
it starts making the cost, uh, uh, the time cost and the cost cost uh, exponentially higher. It starts becoming a little bit crazy when you start thinking about it, right? Because as, if you, you know, like, let's take your example there where you have PFSense versus VELOP, right? Mm-hmm. And like the VELOP decided to freak out. Um, you only had a red or a green light, so you weren't really sure what the hell's going on. Now you have PFSense, right? PFSense, much more rock solid than a VELOP. Uh, pretty low bar there, but <laughs> PFSense is a, is a more more right. solid than a Linksys. Got it. So, so now, you know, now there's some, you know, zero day exploit that comes out for PFSense, you know, and it, it's version and that has to be patched. And if that gets hit and it gets taken down, okay, so now what do I do? Now this box that has PFSense on it is no longer good. I have to nuke it and start over, put a zero day on it. How do I get to the zero day? Well, I don't have internet right now, so I'm going to have to go get the, <laughs> the patch off of my phone and sling it to some other box and my whole house is offline and, you know, kids are crying for Netflix. And so... I think like when you get to that part of it, right, like and you start thinking about like the complexity that you now need to add and those costs associated to keep it redundant, right, like to start really like beefing that up. Um, I think that it starts it starts spiraling out of control, yeah. right? Like it starts becoming less less of an interesting project and more of a liability. Um, whereas you know you take an Eero or an Asus router, like I have back there, or a, you know, or even a Velop, and uh, whether it's a red or a green light, like once you pull the power out and plug it back in, you get to be back online, right? Like that's as far as it goes. And if it doesn't give you a green light after that, we put this one in the trash and we get another Velop and we plug that in, and you know, and there's really none of it, right? Like right. It, it's you know, so that is something I think about it that I think w- w- my particular thoughts about it. And again, this is just cut from my my day job. But um, home th- server is, you know, once you start spiraling up the complexity and adding all these like, you know, roles and, and features to it, you know, to coin a Windows term. But once you start adding all these jobs for it to do and you don't then start scaling out the, you know, the potential for it to be redundant, you know, for it to not be a single point of failure um, like that starts becoming difficult to deal with now because now you have to make sure all the states are in sync and all you have to Mm -hmm. have you know several vms well if you have all the vms on the same thing that doesn't work so now we need yet another server that's like you know farming out and doing you know snapshots of vms that are gonna and after a while like you have to start thinking about like this is an it job like this is a thing that you're doing now except you get to do it when you get home now like you don't just have to do it for your eight plus hours a day you have to now do it when you get home and that I think was really where it landed for me. Like I, I started, I w- went all the way up the mountain, played with all the stuff this year, and you know, in these last few months, I kind of just you know backed away because I realized like it's never going to stop. Like you're always going to find ways to make this thing more complicated. Like that's easy, right? Like it's the 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 complexity was never. Uh, as dumb as that sounds, the com- making something complex is not the hard part, right? It's making something complex yet completely useful to people who are not you. Um, that's the that's the part, right? Like that's the part that, it, yeah. that they, uh, is difficult to to wrap around. So that that is the other part for me. I think ultimately where I kind of just said, you know, I'm going to have to do this differently, like fundamentally differently, because this thing died on me a couple of weeks ago. I actually rolled all of the the functions back to my Asus router. I've got an Asus mesh router, the Zen Wi-Fi's. Um, I do not exaggerate, literally 24 hours before the home server decided to finally die, which is holding on to all the things. Um, The (laughs) Asus put out a brand new firmware that has all this great remote management in it and uh, support for new VPN types and tunnels, like 
all kinds of nerdy stuff all on board, all there. Uh, I can hang a hard drive off the back of it and and serve serve stuff out. Um, the WAN port is now 2.5 gigs. So if I get like, like I mean, they just- On the same like, hardware, they just, so it was 2.5 capable? It was 2.5 capable. I just didn't know it. Yeah, because when it shipped, like the box actually said one gig on the back, and I guess that's because you know they didn't have that enabled or working or whatever. But now you can actually see it. It actually has like a port map now, just like real routers do, so you can see, you know, what the what the ports are and if they're up or down, and you know what I mean. Like, so like they really like, and they've been. I give them a ton of credit for like leaning into a lot of the nerdier parts of that. And it was like, you know, so I'm like staring at it. and I'm like, man, that's. That's pretty good. Like, there's a lot there that this thing can now do all of a sudden, you know what I mean? And so, like, it sort of paused, you know, it made me pause and start to think about home servers in general because there's just so much power and so much great stuff inside of this thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I don't have any illusions that, you know, it's going to be as fancy or as powerful as a proper, you know, home server build in a home lab. But, uh, but it's, uh, but it, it really does like kind of give you pause. You know what I mean? Like these, these things exist. I, I'm, I am heartbroken that develop in particular has decided to make it so closed box because those things are very expensive. Yeah. They should just, they should give you more under the hood, you know, for, for you to play with. Um, and it does exist. You know, I think the Eros are actually very good for that too. I give Eero a ton of credit for uh, democratizing that. I think their app is first class. It is absolutely the best app I've seen by Country Mile. I think it's a great, you know, like uh, onboarding experience for for nodes. I think it's a, it gives you a lot of information, you know what I mean, about what's going on in your network. Um, a lot of co- consumer first features, and yet it still lets you drill down. Um, the ASUS is is just a little bit more on the nerdy side. It's like it's the it's less Synology and more QNAP, I guess is what I would say. Like, like so, that. it's maybe yeah. not as pretty. Um, but I mean, if you're playing with PF Sense and you don't really care about pretty, it's, it's right. like it's like it's very you know. So like it's got more of those nerdy bits in it. But I, but I am but it does exist out there, right? Like it is that. So I, you know, more of a larger rethink about you know kind of what I'm doing at home. I, I obviously I'm kind of backed into the Plex thing for a little while. So I it, it will be interesting to see if somebody can come up with a solution, whether it's Apple or it's Spotify or somebody, because if I have this ripped CD from this local band from years ago, how do I get that so that I can get to it everywhere? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately right now that's still Plex, you know, but like, but if somebody can come up with that answer, you know, and like the licensing is not that, that egregious, then I would like that, you know, I meant to ask you about that actually too. Like, how do you feel about that? And like, in terms of like, like copyright licensing, uh, that sort of thing. Like as an artist, like and as somebody who understands the law very well, like what, like how do you, like if you cut a demo? I mean, you and I have cut a demo before, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. we've we're actually been in bands together. So, um, and that CD has not had any distribution of any kind, right? Um, I think we talk about this, in, you know, it comes in and out from time to time, but maybe segueing into this a little bit. Um, how do you feel about that uh, more broadly? About like how how to gain access to these things that could just be forever lost to time, right? Yeah. More broadly and then specifically around music. So I think, you know, you're hitting on a couple of overlapping things. Uh, you know, when we think about an artist creating, you know, we've had this conversation, you know, it's the the George Lucas paradox, right? You know, we, George Lucas creates something, he invented it, it's his creation. However, we all grew up with it. And so there's this idea like, when he then goes and re-edits Star Wars and adds all of this CG stuff that, frankly, watching um, episode four with my son hasn't aged so well. 
<laughs> right? Like it's not great CG. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, 90s, early 2000s CG, like the first Jurassic Park, like was really cool at the time, but we were better now. Like, so he should mm-hmm. take another pass. And like you have kind of this existential tug between the creator and the consumer. And I use both of those terms with love. Neither of them really fit, but or between the artist and the fan, however you want to call it, where as soon as it's out in the world, it sort of belongs to everybody and you should still have rights to it as the creator. You should be able to profit on it. You should be able to control how it's distributed, but it's not solely yours because in the act of transmission, the act of playing a song for another person, that's a communal relationship. You're sharing it with the person who's listening, the person who heard it on their first date and their first kiss was this pivotal moment. Um, and remind me to circle back uh, because I'm going to tie all of this to sports since we're now also a sports podcast. So, um, no, that's silosity. That is not a description. That, uh, that's, that's correct. <laughs> I, and I promise you, I'm going to hit stop on the recording the, and hang up the zoom call. <laughs> if you talk about the Phillies, fuck you are baseball. listening to the interscription podcast network where our, <laughs> that's, right. that's the network. Yes, we have a network, everybody. Yeah, we, got, uh, we, got, we got 30 episodes under our belt, and we have a fucking network. I Check us out. very much want to interview your stepbrother about how the Yankees are sitting at home. We'll get there. Um, yep. yep, you can interview him that's, about that's that. Exactly that's exactly right. right. That's, that's right. right. That's right. Yep. Uh, so you've got this communal relationship where that music is almost as important to you. And I'm using music just because I know it deepest, but I think this applies, uh, as I said, like to George Lucas and you grew up, like you saw star Wars when it first came out in theaters. I mean, for us, it was probably return of the Jedi. Like, I think I saw that as a little kid in the theaters mm-hmm. and what, like 84 was Jedi. Think so. So think yeah, so. I mean, I was 84, 86, yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. I don't remember a ton about it, but I know that I went, you know, I know that mm-hmm. I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, our friend Eric has a memory of, spoiling that shit for people as he was walking out of the theater and uh, you know like wow it was his father like all all of that like uh, perfect little boy stuff Um, and so there is a relationship and I do think that the artist ultimately should get to decide what they do with their work but once it's out of the bag you can't put it back in again either and so you know to make sure we're hitting the entire trifecta of shit you didn't want to talk about this episode Taylor Swift taking all of her shit and re-recording her old albums. Mm-hmm. Nifty, right? Like, because under copyright law, I could record her Red Album if I wanted to, and I'll just have to pay mechanical licensing to her as long as it's an original performance. Because the way we divvy up those rights is there's a difference between the composition, the actual song that's written, and the sound recording of it. To get to you and the idea then of we cut a demo... We chose to never release it. It was, you know, for internal use or it's an unfinished product. You got your hands on it, wanted to archive it. So there's two things. One is how do we get to preserve that for all time? And the second is, do we get to preserve it privately? And that's where you get into this Plex versus something like SoundCloud or um, I think Google Play lets you upload your own music. I don't think since they moved over to YouTube Music, if they do that, although... I had a bunch of content, and when they did the transition, they let me transfer it. I just don't know if they're still doing that. But that was one mm. of the things way back when Google Play first launched that attracted me to the platform. As I said, we got a lot of songs. You can also upload your own library. 
and put mm-hmm. it up in the cloud. And that seemed pretty nifty to me at the time in a very Plex-like way. And I still have some of my demos on that. So if I'm in my car, most of the time now when I'm writing new music, I'll pop it into OneDrive, I'll pop it into Dropbox. They all have the ability to understand music and to play to varying levels of success. Mm -hmm. Um, Google Play and now YouTube Music is a little better for that because it understands that it's an album, it's a playlist, whereas something like Dropbox or OneDrive understands that it's an audio file and lets you play it, but then you have to go back to the folder to play the next song. So it's not quite as good. So all of those solutions, everything that I just rattled off, sort of does the Plex thing, sort of does the archival in the cloud thing. The problem that I have overall, like my my zeitgeist about all of this that, you know, you asked about like family photos is I don't own it anymore. Like I don't own that cloud. I'm not in control of that. And and Google could say, you know, we supported this feature for so many years and we even took it over to YouTube Music for you guys. But if you want to keep your music up in the cloud, it'll now be an additional $300 a year. Or they could just say, you know what, this is dumb. We found that only like 1% of people were using it and we now have over 100 million songs. And so anything that you want is on our service anyway. We're shutting it off and it's gone. And the same with your photos. Like, yeah, I use iCloud because I take my photos on an iPhone and so it's there, but I want to own that. Like if I have nothing else uh, living in the digital era, I have pictures of my children that go back to when they were born. Like I have Mm -hmm. 10 years of photos and that's both good and terrible. Uh, When we were kids growing up, our parents had photo albums and they were curated mm-hmm. and they were put in this thing, this physical thing. And those are still treasures. The photos that I have of my dad don't exist in the cloud. They, they're not an iCloud. They're not anywhere. I've used um, Google's um, PhotoScan app, which actually works pretty well to like archive them whenever I see them, just because I'm kind of scared that, you know, they'll yellow and be gone someday. And I won't be able to get to those memories, those moments anymore. So we've had progress, we've had good things, but we've also lost ownership. And so iCloud could say, you know, this service now costs more money or we're just shutting it down or we've banned your account or you've lost access to your account and then it's gone. Like Mm -hmm. all of the photos of my kids that I've taken since they were born, gone in a minute. And like that is an animating force for me for being cynical and going into all of that work to figure out a way to backwards hack it. Um, I'm using Nextcloud these days, but it could be anything just to get like physical copies on a hard drive somewhere that I can squirrel away like some sort of mad person uh, to protect it. To take that back to art, though, uh, you know, I think that's where Plex is amazing. And, you know, we've like pulled up the Brigid demo and it's like, listen to our female vocalist and Plex has been like, oh, here's other artists. And it's like not necessarily things that she sounded like or our band sounded like, but it's like going right down the list of covers we used to do with that band when we had gigs and like artists that we know she was really into. It's like, well, it's a little too close to home. And that's the other side of it. Why do I still use Google Photos and iCloud? And I actually use both. And actually I have things backed up on OneDrive that are still kind of like cycling through because 
again, they can't all fuck me over at once. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got these kind of everywhere and they, we benefit from some of that machine learning, you know, it'll pop up like memories for this day, or, you know, Google will pop up like a montage with music behind it. And it understands like which kid it's doing or, you know, which dog it's doing. And it'll give you like all of these memories over like eight years. And I'm just fucking sobbing like a little bitch and I'm sharing it with everybody. I can't help myself, (laughs) but it works like it's effective. And to try to wrap this up in art, the fear that I have and like the thing that doesn't necessarily fit right is if you take something that's not ready, that may never have been ready, that may have been abandoned or off color or just not what you wanted out there and you put it up on the cloud, there's nothing stopping it from just being added to that hive mind of content. And then what do you do? Uh, You know, it comes back to really great conversation that we had at one point about like, what do you do with games that the developers are gone, you know, and let's make that music. Like I die tomorrow. I have 200 demos that are unfinished. Should they die with me or should there be a way to just get them out there for other artists to listen and record and to share the best of that with people? Um, And I think that's the same conflict right like that's the same problem and you have artists and their estates who are very protective of the work long after the artists are gone and try to close those fucking doors tight and say it's not happening and you know why are there so few dr seuss based movies because Willy Wonka bombed at the time and he said not more no more in my lifetime and so for a long time we had no, not Dr. Seuss, I'm sorry, um, Roald Dahl. Um, Roald Dahl. Yeah, Dr. Seuss would be silly because they're very short stories and um, arguably equally racist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, so why weren't there like Roald Dahl stuff? Because he said no. Like mm-hmm. he said, like, I won't lease the rights out to those things. So that's kind of a tug. Like, I think for us, I wanted to be on plaques. I want to be able to listen to my shit whenever I want to and the stuff that we made. But I also want to be able to control that access and share it with the people I want when I want. And I think you lose a little bit of that agency when you don't home server, when you don't archive, when you don't use a service that's built for that. And you just let it out into, you know, the YouTube music of it all. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of my. It's interesting because I I think, too, and I know we've uh, we've gone long on this topic and we've gone long. So uh, (laughs) our our list might might uh, get a little (laughs) a little trimmed down from what we were going to talk about. But I, I. I think, and there's two things there, right? Because you're right. There's there's the Plex piece of it, and Plex is such an interesting animal. I do I do love a lot of what they did there. I more recently, uh, Plex Amp. It's one of their uh, it's their app for music only. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as Plex will do movies, TV shows, whatever you have, like uh, Plex Amp is their kind of like uh, other app that you have that is only for music, and it is truly more than anything else that I have played with right now, Spotify, Apple music, 
I think that Plexamp is like for music lovers. And I, I know this might come off a, a little bit about like, you know, almost like an ad for Plexamp, but I feel like the the way I watched an interview pretty recently, I have to link you off to it. It was uh, um, the one of the, I, I don't know if he's a founder of Plex or if he's a programmer on Plexamp, but it's somebody who's employed there. Um, really fascinating, like all of the features that they are adding there. Um, one of the things Plex will do is it actually goes through and it scans and it does a sonic analysis of every song on your Plex server. So you have 20,000 songs, it will go through and it will kind of get like a sonic fingerprint, similarly in some cases to what Pandora was doing with the Music Genome Project. Um, but it's actually scanning your music, right? It's not just trying to match it with something else. So like it, it was in the case of our demo from back in the day with Brigid, it listened to Brigid and it said, well, yeah, this kind of maybe sort of a little bit sounds like these other bands, you know, and, and, and it was a little bit startling. You're right. When we went back and, and, and kind of saw what it suggested, right. Um, Plexamp has this new feature that's called Sonic Adventure, um, which was also a pretty fun Sonic game, but the, the Sonic Adventure and what you do is you pick two songs out of your library, any two songs and you rush to Pink Floyd, let's say, or Bruce Springsteen to Wallflowers or uh, Brigid to Milton Sills. And you tell it play and then it makes a map of music that starts with that song and ends with the other song. And it tries to find something that's it say it's five songs that it does. The first one is mostly like the first band. And then the one right after that is kind of like the first one, but a little bit like the second one. And then the third one is like right in the middle. It's like a blend of both. And then, but it's out of your library. So like, it's literally going through your library and trying to go through that sonic analysis and decide music that bridges the gap between those two things. Um, and that's like such a cool thing to do. Like, it's like, it is an adventure, right? Like, it's like, they want you to go exploring your music. Right. Um, one of the things they have is called sweet fades um, in there. So it's like, so they understand gap playback and they understand you know where a song ends and where a song begins you know like sonically like they look at the waveform so they know when it ends and they if you turn on sweet fades i think it's on by default it actually finds places almost like a really cool mixtape or like or like a, a a very cool mastered album where it will blend a song that's fading out and blend the other song fading in in a way um, finding, you know, guitar chords and keys that are like very similar between the two songs. Some kind, sometimes almost to an uncanny degree, like that, that it links those things. And I love that idea. Like it's, it's like these guys are, are doing something with music that I feel like nobody else is doing. Like, uh, I mean, are you mostly on Spotify right now or is it more Apple music or where are you right now? What is your, or do you split the difference or where, where do you, um, when you're listening yeah, to music? I'm pretty agnostic. I do some Apple music in the car because it's just a lot easier for voice commands and a lot more thorough. Uh, Spotify is in my car interface and so I'm kind of there stuff is die hard on YouTube music so we mm. kind of have like all three services bumping and I keep getting ready to drop at least one and they yeah. just all none of them are perfect sure so sure. yeah I, I mean what you're talking about is what I want from all of them because I am very much a new music junkie I want to be delighted I don't wear the grooves out of albums an awful lot mm -hmm. and so you know I mean not this fucking week I just put on the top 100 
charts uh, on my way to soccer practice uh, with Nora because I wasn't sure what to put on. And it was like the entire Taylor Swift album, like uh, all like 10 tracks of it. Uh, so thanks, America. Great. Great taste. Like I, I'm not even negging in Taylor Swift, but just there's other music out there. There's other stuff to listen to there. I promise. Oh, I am. Fuck her. I, <laughs> I, I, that, that, for, that first, that first song is called Lavender Haze. It's not Lavender Haze. It's Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. It's not Lavender Haze by whatever this asshole is. It is Purple Haze. No, thank you. Back in the box. What about Midnight Rain? Do you think that's also like, does she just have an aversion to purple and really wants to like maybe maybe she's an asshole so obviously she has an aversion to good things so yeah yeah i mean do marvin gay next uh, please uh, i want to i want to see those teams of lawyers at each other but let, let's i'm the <laughs> the crater that will ensue it's like like th- those two super powered anime characters running at each other just, a, That's just, it. just, just two like Hadoukens that are like enormous yep. big explosion Boom. Right? Like, that's what i want to yeah, see that. because like those guys are assholes too like i just get them all in a courtroom like let's do it Let's do it, dude. Let's do it. That's how it works. That's it. That's that's the thing, man. Yeah, yeah. it's not even inspired yeah, by that. So, like, I don't know why why we did that. Like the and the, so this is this is what I'm gonna say. This is my Taylor Swift uh, speech just to keep us on the air because if I don't say this, I promise we'll get shut down. Um, no problem. I've, I'll have your rebuttal in a moment. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> she can be her team of monkeys or her however you want to say it a decent lyricist some of her turns of phrases are pretty clever and huh. uh, lavender Hayes did not need that lyric it was not clever at all um the one that's getting a lot of rotation anti-hero has some really clever lines in it and I think it's neat uh her covid pandemic uh, one album folklore had some really cool stories in it. I'm throwing that out there. Like she can be a good lyric writer. And I'm saying that to totally support you in the idea that Lavender Haze is bullshit. It seems like she decided to write this song because she really liked that phrase and didn't know where she had this idea for a purplish haze. Like, I don't know. I just woke up with it. It's really creative and I got to write a song around it. Um, reason and I don't, it's not purple. It's like off purple. Like, uh, I don't know. Like it's not mauve or fuchsia, like, but the lyric just doesn't work for me. And the reason I'm saying all of this is to say that there's really no excuse because she can write lyrics like she's not bad at it like her team can write lyrics whoever's writing her lyrics can turn a rhyme like they can do it and that doesn't do it so i don't know why it's there other than to just piss people off like you like it's it's there for you it's there just to get all of your swifty outrage out and why like Mm. uh, that's what i'm saying is uh, why why yeah yeah, game three of the Phillies versus the Astros was uh, was was just a man. You, what a blowout! It's insane. It was a blowout, I, I am, dude. I am. It was like fucking Heidi Klum, like coming down the runway blowout. It was just like fans going, and that's exactly yeah. right. Heidi Klum was dressed up as a worm too. While we're while we're at okay. it, um, I don't know. Just another topic. Whatever you Zombies. can say. Uh, that asshole sucks. She's awful. Don't make any more music. I don't want to hear any bullshit out of her fucking stupid face. It sucks. It's yeah. awful. Don't bring that shit up again. I would much rather talk about 
the fucking Phillies. <laughs> ah. Um, anyway, so uh, tell yes. me about zombies because I have not watched The Walking Dead since they killed Carl, and I'm pretty sure I was trying to retcon this a little bit in my mind that uh, Steph and I skipped some episodes just to get to the episode where they killed Carl for the personal satisfaction of uh, that dumb doofus getting axed. So I, we collectively in our household were really hurt by how shitty the walking dead got after Negan came on the scene. And I know a lot of people really loved the idea from the comics, from the graphic novels of him as a character of him getting introduced into the canon, but then they just fucking stepped on rake after rake like a shambling asshole zombie that couldn't see the rakes in front of them and it just sucked. So we mm. begged off and were rewarded by two more spinoffs, uh, 15 more seasons. What the fuck is going on in Zombieland? So many zombies. Uh, I, I'm so with you. I think the introduction to Negan, I want to say we might have touched this a bit on the pod, but I, I, I think... The thing, there is an off-putting flavor that happened around Negan, particularly around um, Glenn. Like when, you know, he comes out with Lucille with the bat and, you know, picks everybody and bat, bat, and takes a couple people out. And there was something um, grotesque about that in a way that like a show with like entrails pouring out of dead bodies was Mm -hmm. not. There was, was, there was something that was uh, inhumane and, and mean spirited in a way that like that show hadn't really been up until then. There was like real character development, real character work in that show that um, particularly in the first couple of seasons that were like, it was just astounding stuff. I'd say probably right through the second, maybe even into the third, I really hats off to them, cowboy hats off to them. Uh, They're just a really great job. Right. Um, um, and I felt like it had its own uh, flavor. I had it, it had its own uh, lane um, from the comics, and a lot of you know, comic faithful for Walking Dead were very, uh, you know, they're very upset about how it had changed uh, and at, at points. But there was still a good fandom, even from people who read the comics, because I think there was such a uh, an identity that it still held on to, even if it was a different identity. Um, I don't know that once that stuff happened with Negan, where it got so grotesque and so violent and in a way that was uh, more emotionally violent than it was physically violent. um, I think that that um, I think that was a a very dark thing to do at a time that maybe just didn't jive with the audience. And that's why so many people fell off at that moment. And I don't think a lot of people came back. Um, yeah, that's right. I was talking a bit about it and how I kind of associated it with all the, the weird uncle fucking that was happening yes. in uh, the uh, house of the dragon. Problem. I think we it's, even it's just the episode that I think yeah. so. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I think that I, uh, my, uh, ultimate, uh, <sighs> My ultimate thing is that I, I think that they have spent a lot of time recovering or attempting to recover um, and kind of bringing the, the thing back and not really uh, just steering the ship in a way to kind of um, Negan is very much a rehabilit- rehabilitated character um, uh, as of now, like like very much so, like he is just part of the gang now, um, which you just wouldn't have seen from back then. Right. Like, but how, um, and it was how, a, how? like, I mean, I, and I say that globally, like, again, as somebody who hasn't watched what the additional four or five seasons that I need to, to understand, but like what you said, uh, this was 
a written irredeemable character and it's part of what made the relationship with Carl so gross early going and so just un unacceptable in the uncle fucking kind of way that there's like this weird paternalistic like almost friendly relationship between Negan and Carl and like they're broing it in an adversarial way but like this is a guy who introduced himself by bashing the brains out of one of your crew for absolutely no reason like no redeemable reason to do that really like other than just pure terror so how do you redeem a character like that other than just having enough seasons in between here and there that you've softened your viewers into thinking well you know maybe that wasn't so bad like what sure yeah they they did uh there was a lot of mileage there you know there's a whole bunch of people hating him for a very long time and him doing a lot of redeemable things and um they he had his own flashback episode which i think went a long way into kind of giving some texture to that character um actually one of the better episodes that i've seen in the last several seasons was his the one where they did the the, uh explained lucille they explained you know his ex they explained everything there and like who he was and you know his turn and why he turned and like all of his mental break and everything so humanized him a lot i don't i will not become the walking dead apologist here i don't think that that show uh ever found its way fully back you know what i mean after negan um i, I will i will say that it never got there um but it became watchable again it, it got back to where it was the other thing that i thought that was rather clever was uh, fear of the walking dead which was the kind of second show that was you know um there Started out pretty rough, but um, actually pulled in some really good characters and some really interesting things about the fiction um, and a whole separate team. They had a couple of crossovers, um, you know, with the with the original show, um, with a character in particular, Morgan. Um, I think they did some really great work around that, um, and I, I felt like that was like expanding it a little bit further. Um, so. I think it was in in terms of you know sometimes I'll yell at you and Eric about you know having too much comfort food in your in your diet when it comes to you know TV shows and I feel like this is one of the few there might be maybe one other show that I have that like really lands in that sort of comfort food place where it's it's not really going to be something that I run out and tell everybody you've got to see it man like the, you, it is so great what they did here um, but it has always kind of filled that niche you know what I mean it is it, of, of you know I've been with these characters long enough I'm seeing where they're going and everything and it is better than a lot of the schlock that ends up being comfort food so I, I, I will give it that much at least um, more what I wanted to kind of bring out today and I just got to catch the first one but um, there is a third I mean there there were also some side projects I mean there was like the there there's that uh, there was one that took place in the future I think it was only one season I don't think it was like where it was like basically like what happened like they flash forwarded you know um, pretty far out um, but I haven't watched that one because I don't know that that even caught any traction but um, there's a series that has come out recently called Tales of the Walking Dead and um, I am shocked that they didn't come up with this idea beforehand it's an anthology series and so it's really just one-off episodes you know that like kind of like and they bring in like more celebrity type characters that kind of come into um, I agree Eric actually watched all of them and I agree with him I'm watching the first one the celebrity piece sometimes takes you out of it a little bit because you know who those people are yeah. right um but uh but what a cool idea and i think that um i have to get through the entirety of it because i have all of them on plex um but i i um 
I, I, I am interested in the idea of something that makes that more fresh, right? I think the one thing you can say about all of the Walking Dead stuff is that it is very stale, right? Like there's, they have to kind of move the thing along. There's only so many ways of like, oh, well, we're survivors out in the wilderness. Oh, we find a, 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 a society. Oh, it looks really good. Oh, wow, it's not really good. We're going to burn that motherfucker down. Let's start over. And then next season, and we're going to do that again and again and again and again, right? Like in, even in the seasons you went through, you've probably would have gone through what, like four versions of exactly yeah. that story. Um, so, you know, that didn't stop. They, they did put some interesting spins on it by having multiple, um, societies going at the same time, um, which was kind of interesting at, at points, but, uh, you know, it's, um, I don't know. Like it's, a, it is interesting to, to, I think to, to think about expanding the fiction in unique ways. And I do love that idea. Um, also, they are doubling down on the fact that, like, this is the Skywalker problem. Like, next year, they're going to have a show that is Rick and Michonne, uh, just them running around. They're going to have another one that is uh, Daryl running around. And then they're going to have another one that is, oh, that's um, Negan and, um, oh, what's her name? Um, not Carol, but the other one, um, Glenn's wife. Um Sorry, I'm not going to get it right now, mm. but the three shows are going to be, and they're basically splintering off from this show because the, uh, the Walking Dead, for those that don't know, this is the last season and they're finishing it out by, I guess, Christmas or so somewhere around there. It's, it, it is the last episodes. So that's interesting, right? Like that they really are doubling down on like the same crew as opposed to doing fresh new stories. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of wanted to float it out there. I, I am enjoying this last season. I think they've got some, you know, some good propulsion towards trying to finish out what they're talking about, but um I don't know. I, I'm. I, I think that it needs. Um, it's too corny of a joke, but new blood and like I, they they have to you know they have to get they have to get a little bit more out here that like capitalizes on this like potentially rich tapestry yeah. of like what happened in the apocalypse, right? Like they have a rule set that's been built for years now. They have some good writing and good, you know, special effects work that they can put in here. Um, I don't think it has to be the Skywalker problem. Like stop bringing the same crew of Rick and friends. Like you don't have to do that. Um, so, and I thought tales of the walking dead, you know, again, just with this first episode, but I think like that's a good, clever way of, of, of opening this up a little bit right like you're seeing what's successful making it kind of like black mirror where you're just you know what i mean like it's just this one off here you know yeah. um and finding clever ways of tying it into the other shows you know what i mean that would be cool too having little guest appearances from people who you haven't seen in a while and and whatever but um so i don't know i'll have to finish that out you know because there's only i think six episodes or something but uh, at this point but uh i'm hopeful for fresher ideas here it's a um it's a neat thing. I, I don't. I don't regret my time with it, but uh, yeah, I won't be an apologist for the show at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And, and at some point, I'd love to know as a recovering fan, you know, whether or not I need to just figure out where I gave up and pick up from there and eat the 14 seasons before it gets good, or if there is like a good like reentry point. I, you know, it makes me wonder if Fear of the Walking Dead or Tales of are not doing that well that these are the projects they're coming up with because they've had. Fear of the Walking Dead for a while, I don't think Morgan was a part of it from day one. And then they kind of course corrected to bring him in in some way. And I haven't watched a lot of it, but you know, I know that the actor came in and was a part of it, um, mostly from ads, I think, before episodes of Better Call Saul. Um, <laughs> That's right. So, like, you know, I wonder, like, if it was a ratings thing and they just kind of got in their head that, oh, well, the only reason The Walking Dead is doing so great is because Rick and crew. And so, like, yeah. that's all they can think. And... It's just reductive and not 
thinking, well, maybe the stories on Fear of the Walking Dead or whatever ratings they saw are just not as good, you know, that they just felt mm-hmm. they had to overcorrect. Because mm-hmm. I agree with you. I fucking hate the Skywalker problem. I hate it with a passion and Better Call Saul actually is a flashback show of a great show that features very much one of the main characters in Breaking Bad, but managed, you know, with the exception of a very minimal cameo at the end of the last season of Better Call Saul, like one scene and a little conversation uh, with um, Aaron Paul, like they kept them the fuck out of it, right? Like they really focused on other parts and other characters in very unique and organic ways. So like I know AMC as a network is capable of understanding that. And, you know, I, I don't know, it's a lot of seasons in, so maybe they're just out of ideas and it's just, well, a Rick with a lamp monster. Arr! Yeah. <laughs> it could be, it could be. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I wonder, I, I'm, I'm, um, Eric actually picked it back up um, for whatever it's worth. He, he got through that, um, and, uh, was able to kind of climb off the last season off my DVR, um, to kind of catch okay. up where he was. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, Definitely, maybe we'll take it offline, but it would be interesting to get your thoughts on, you know, it as as a comfort food show. I'm, you know, I, I can't sit here and extol the praises of it when there's simply just better TV. But, but they, you know, there's a course correction here for the original show that I think was worthwhile. I, I do give them credit for where they where they ended up landing with with where they are now. It's. Um, interesting enough i am i am locked in to see what's going on you know what i mean i there's some good characters that have stayed and i i I am it is interesting at least so in closing any season of the walking dead is better than taylor swift's latest latest album that is better than taylor swift a rotting corpse uh either fictional or otherwise better than taylor swift a guttural sound made by the undead better than any taylor Mm -hmm. swift album i just want anybody listening to this and especially cinnabon to know that i am a holding space for swifties (laughs) (laughs) i I will i'll I'll possibly say something a little less shitty about taylor swift if somebody sends us that's right yeah no i i am insisting that we end the podcast now because i really like podcasting and i don't want that to end man oh man yeah the the hammer of legal justice yeah like seriously this could only be worse if you started saying shit about chrissy teigen so let's uh, end before we do that's Great. It. That's See it. you guys next week. Hopefully. See you guys next week. Peace out.